When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to a special edition of the Liverpool Echoes Everton podcast uh, on the day that Roberto Martinez's his tenure as Everton manager has been brought to an end uh, just over an hour ago now. It, it was confirmed that uh, he's, uh, his position has been terminated and he will not be in charge for the Everton's final game of the season against Norwich on Sunday. So, myself, Phil Kerbride, Everton editor Greg O'Keefe, uh, footy tips of Tony Scott and uh, statsman Gav Buckland here, as usual, sort of chew the fat and digest and, 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 and go through the events of the day and obviously last night as well, we have to sort of talk about that. Um, Greg, it's I, I've seen some people kind of react with, with joy at the news, but it's fair to say, uh, I'm sure you'll agree, that it's never a good day for any football club when you're in a position where you have to sack your manager. But what's your overriding emotion at the minute? Is it one of relief? Yeah, I think relief is, is the apt one. I mean, it's not for me to tell other Evertonians how to feel. And if some are feeling joyous, then I think that just shows you how low things have fallen. That We've got to this stage where fans are actively willing the manager to, to be relieved of his job. And I don't think that comes naturally to most Evertonians, I'll say. Um, I don't think anyone really in their right mind wants to see somebody sacked. But, like I say, it's got to that point. Um, I'm not joyous. I, I'm not delighted, I'm not dancing around, clicking my heels, um, you know, on a personal level, like I'm sure. Other media, I've always had a lot of time for him, but as a manager, he wasn't good enough for Everton, and it's the right decision. It's been, it's too late, it should have happened previously, and so I think the most appropriate one, somehow I feel, is kind of relief, mixed with, you know, a little bit of uncertainty now, and what the next step is, because... Instantly, you start to think, well, who will come and replace? And I'm sure we'll come to that later on in the podcast. Or, um, but you're in an area of uncertainty, and you know it's a big choice, big summer, and they've got to make the, got to make the right choice. So, did you, you know, Greg alluded to it, alluded to it there, where he felt it's it was you know, a decision that's come perhaps too late. Did you did you start to believe that in fact it maybe wasn't going to happen, and that the board? given their, their sort of perceived silence over, over the issue, we're in fact sticking by Roberto and, and this, we weren't going to come to this, this juncture? I think, to be honest, I thought he was going to see the season out. I think if results hadn't gone really drastically the way they did, Drubbins from Leicester, Liverpool, Sunderland, I think if they would have maybe salvaged the draw here or there, I probably, it probably would have seen the season out. Mm. But the way it's accumulated over the, the previous 10 results, one win and quite a lot of... Defeats in there and draws, and it's been coming now, hasn't it? The writing's been on the wall for them. The the fans have had it in for them for quite a while now, haven't they? And I'm judging by the the, the players' performances, it looks as though the players have had as well. So it's 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 a day for me. It's Greg's just said it's a relief, but for me, it's it's an excitement now that there's a new era on the brink now of Everton Football Club, which they should take upon now and install a man, an absolute winner who's going to change the whole mentality of this football club now. And that's what they have to do. They can't just 
chase a man who's just won one trophy just on the back of that. They need a proven winner who's won successive leagues elsewhere or won trophies elsewhere. Not a man who's just relegated the team and now to get a top six job. It just didn't it didn't stack up for me at the start. So, but I, I was willing to give him a chance at the start, and he proved me wrong the first season. But the last two seasons have been absolutely disastrous for for Everton Football Club. But yeah, go to, back to your question. The writing's been on the wall for a long time, and it's a it's a in my opinion, I think it's an exciting time to be at Everton. You know, they've got to make sure that this one is a big, big sign for Everton Football Club. Gav, always the voice of reason and... and uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you are, mate. But, so, but you know, a, a pretty straightforward question. Is it the right decision? Yes. I think it's been... As Tony said, it's been... It's, it's been a strange time, hasn't it, really? And I think it's been quite apparent that something's been up since the... Strange enough, the Chelsea game... When we won, we won 2-0 at Goodison on the Saturday and you're reaching the semi-final and, you know, you think you should be on a, an upturn in fortunes, you know, morale should be up, you know, Wembley, etc. Chance of a trophy, a couple of maybe weaker teams in the semi-final. But it's all appeared to have gone wrong since the, the five minutes into the Arsenal home game. We played quite well for five minutes and then we just sort of, we, we just disappeared and we've not since then at any point have we gathered any sort of momentum and we've just slipped. And although before then we Chelsea and we'd had results, you you couldn't really fault players' effort and, and the determination. It was more down to failure in tactics, game management, all the stuff we normally talk about. But there's been something up for me since the Chelsea game, where for whatever reason there's just been a complete disconnect between the players and appears on face value to be bond between the players and, and the manager. And from that, when you're in that that position and you're putting everything into a cup game and then you lose the cup game you're in a, a very dangerous place and um, a similar thing happened to Gordon Lee in 1981 um, where he had a very similar season to Roberto this time and, and Gordon went at the end of that campaign so as soon as soon as you saw that when we lost to Man United it was inevitable that it was going to happen mm. and um, on that basis you know whatever happened in pre-season you bring players in it, it, it has to be the right decision it's interesting what Gav said there, just to pick up on it. Normally I would agree with him that you couldn't fault the efforts of the players, but just these last few weeks, I'm thinking the Leicester game and last night, I can fault the efforts of the players. And the derby as well. Yeah. And the derby. But last, yeah, yeah, yeah well, absolutely the derby. But last night in particular, it was rotten to the core mm. and I saw players who are well better than they, than they showed last night. It was insipid, it was weak, it was powder puff. And they got had off by a team who were just about scraped into the Premier, staying into the Premier League. Um, it was inexcusable for me. Yeah, for the, I didn't say that there's been efforts and stuff since the, the Chelsea game. There was beforehand for me. We were let down by you know tactics, etc. But there has been what you're saying just since the Chelsea game, and that's a mis- that's the mystery for me about why it's one of the high points of the season. We've just gone completely. I thought uh, you were saying no, that no. you can't fault the efforts. No, no, only before game. before the Chelsea game. Yeah, I agree with since that. Since Chelsea, since five minutes into the Arsenal game, we've just gone downhill completely. I, and and the support has you said. See, I'm, I'm not having this. This has been two full seasons. This two full. And he, Roberto Martinez, wouldn't have got away with this at Tottenham. Would he have got away with it? Any club who, who want to prolong themselves to be a big successful club after last season's bottom half finish. He would have been bulleted nah, out the door. I, I, so. I, I, I totally disagree. He was, he was lucky after last season. A bottom half finish with that them group of players. And then to be 
to get himself that goal on the back of the first. So that doesn't matter. That doesn't happen in football anymore. Greg, you you've got to have success straight away. Them generation of times where it's about oh, me project for like three or four years. It doesn't happen in football nowadays. You've got to have success straight away. If not, you're out the door. That's just the way football is now. Yeah, but at the end of the day, because we're after the second year or third year, it's obviously not worked for him at Goodison, and we are where we are at the moment. Um, and I, I just. My emotion is sadness. I always think it's sad when the club, like Everton Statue, you're not in the habit of uh, sacking, sacking managers every, you know, every ten minutes. Like it like goes back to, to the, where, where we started. It's not. I can't see how it can be a particularly pleasant thing no. because you've got to a position where you have to sack your manager. Um, question that I'll, I'll throw to each and every one of you because I'm sure that individually you you have a different point. But I'm interested, Greg. I'll start with you. It's kind of a twofold question. At what point do you think? the manager lost the reasoned supporter? And secondly, at what point did you, on a personal level as an Evertonian, begin to question his, his position and ability to do the job? It's a good question. When did he lose the reasonable supporter? I would say he lost the reasonable supporter. I mean, it's, it's a contentious one, isn't it? Because I wrote that piece last week mm. whereby I said the ordinary Evertonian and it's difficult to, you know, you could say, well, what do you mean, the ordinary Evertonian? The point I meant was, Someone who's maybe not as immersed in it, plugged into Twitter, always scrolling through social media. Um, someone maybe of my dad's generation who's got a season ticket, who doesn't have Twitter or Facebook, goes to the game, goes home, doesn't think too much about it afterwards, albeit he will have a grumble over a pint. And that wasn't a criticism as it's been perceived by a lot of people. As I wasn't having a pop of people who were, as I said, keyboard warriors. That's, they're as, as much valid fans as yeah, people yeah. who aren't. Yeah. I just meant that they'd already turned yes. and he'd lost latterly the ones who aren't on the computer yes, or on yeah, the yeah. smartphones. That's yeah. all I meant. Anyway, I would have thought that the ordinary fan, probably after that derby, has said they've had enough. No, now, no earlier, no. Possibly earlier, but I think that's when, that's when I would have thought there was no coming back with the fans. And then the semi-final, as Gav said before, sealed it. And why it's come to this three games later, I don't know, but... Yeah, it's just it's just bizarre. For myself, I started having doubts at the Britannia in the, in his second season when Everton went there, copied two 0 and got and were basically we're in a situation where they were in a fight. And all of a sudden, yeah. it looked like that. Yeah, yeah, it didn't transpire, of course, but it looked like relegation was a distant possibility. And for me, that swing was just from finishing fifth. With a point to total that would have got them second this season. Mm. Yeah. That swing to this, or to that rather, I couldn't get my head around it. But what we did know was something wasn't quite fitting with the style of football. First season, Ian Hedder said that, that defence, that rigid, rigid, rigidity of the defence that Moyes had had. And, you know, as we've seen, he, he went on to unravel that. But while it was still in place and he added, he bolted on his attack and play in the final third, it worked. But one thing, what in hindsight, what we were seeing was him implementing his full system yeah. on that team, and that's when I think things started to go a little bit downhill. And um, that's not to say there weren't really good moments in that season. I think back to like Wolfsburg beating them twice and some of the other performances earlier on in the Europa League. But I began to have doubts, um, like I say, mm. in the Britannia. But I have to say on record as well, after that first season, I was as optimistic as an Evertonian as I have been, as I have been, and pretty much since Moyes got us into fourth. I really believed Everton could yeah. achieve something the following season. I know, for example, Tony didn't. 
Uh, or rather, he hadn't. Yes. And I let, let, mm. let him talk about his own view, but um, it didn't take long for doubts to set in. So you've you've got a, a, a sort of quite unique perspective on on the fan situation, a little bit maybe better than us in many respects, because after home games you you're on Goodison Road, etc., videoing fans and getting their opinions. When did you sense there was a the majority of of the supporters that you you stopped and talked to had had enough? See, it's quite difficult to engage that because of the mixed results we've had from home and away records this season. I think before, I'd say, I think that the Merseyside derby was the final, the final nail in his coffin as far as fans were concerned. The general fan who spoke to after the Merseyside derby had added in for him. They'd made their minds up. But I do agree with Greg. That was the, that was the fan. It was an absolutely embarrassment that that Merseyside derby. It could have been any score you wanted. <laughs> Liverpool actually felt sorry for us mm. that day. The cop was singing his name. It was just the ultimate yeah. humiliation from... It was the, this Liverpool team. Just be, <coughs> the new manager had come in. He'd been there a few months and they just absolutely destroyed Everton into bits. It was just horrible, horrible to watch. It was an embarrassment. So that's when I kind of reflected it from a fan perspective, speaking to them outside the grounds. Me personally... I think the guys coaching me, I've, I've, I've never rated Roberto Martinez as a, as a manager from, from day one. I think what he did with Wigan, we've seen his positions where he put, was, I think Paul Jewell was, um, he'd done well with Wigan, he got them top half finishes, so did Steve Bruce. But he relegated Wigan at the end of it. Yet he won a trophy, they beat Manchester City in a final. Yet he won a trophy, but on the back of that, he got the Everton job. So when you're looking at it, you're thinking, he relegated the team, but got a top six job. That wouldn't happen. That, that shouldn't happen. Why should Everton be getting a manager that's just relegated the team? You know and I was quite vocal at the start when I said this. And it's, it's basically looking at Alex Neil, who's relegated Norwich, getting the Southampton job now. That's effectively what it is. It should never have happened. I think Everton was far too big a club for Roberto Martinez, as it's been proven. You just hit on an interesting point. Like, sorry, Gavin, no, we'll sorry. take your... But you've just reminded me there. If you think at the time, cast your mind back to summer 2013... Martinez got the job, as we know, but the names, the other names around it, weren't very tempting. Yeah. They weren't very. It seemed to me as if the shortlist was pretty weak. It was. Had, yeah, it felt like a shortlist of one. To yeah, you had Ralph Rangnick, yeah. no one's ever heard of. You had the, the then Porto <coughs> coach. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know Phil Neville and Malky oh, Mackay and everyone. You, Mark Hughes is always perennial interest. You know, you have Alan just getting yeah. into his managerial Alan career. Alan Stubbs, yeah. whose name will no doubt be bandied about again. Yeah. Your David Weirs this yeah, world. Yeah, yeah. Your Mark Warburton's maybe yeah. will come into it this time. I don't know, but it wasn't very enticing. So what I hope is, my hope for three years on, is that the shortlist is a lot more enticing and a lot more ambitious. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's funny that I mean just to finish that that point off strangely. Considering that in the 11th or 12th in the table, to a manager, we're probably far more attractive club than what we were three years ago when yeah. we were sixth, ironically enough. Uh, for lots of changes within the Premier League. Uh, and, and also, Martinez, unless very much mistaken, was seen with the owner of the, the club across the park, wasn't he? <laughs> yes. and, uh, so it yeah. couldn't have been just uh, Everton who were uh, entranced. So that's an interesting sad line. For me, uh, well, for, I, I, going on Greg's point to pick him one person who's rational, uh, my mate who's rational, he said for him it was after the West Ham game at home. It's interesting, I wondered if people... Yeah, 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 he, said, yeah. he said from from his own perspective and the people around him and also watching the body language of some of the players at the end when he came yeah. off the pitch with the substitutes and so on and losing the game from, from 2-0 up after what being a good performance up until 75-80 minutes in. 
Uh, he said the West Ham game at home was, and and I thought I think that was probably was that the last league game before the Arsenal game. I think it might have been another Chelsea game yes, in between. I think it might was, have been. Yeah. So maybe that was the, the tipping point for me personally. It's a bit of a difficult one, but I think um, in terms in terms of really saying this is enough, probably you know the the, the derby. I can only say it was just uh, forty plus years of watching derby matches. It was just mm-hmm. the most horrendous experience. Uh, and you know, laid laid out in front of everybody our faults that have been so apparent this season. By and large, that be repeated last night. I mean, this is purely hypothetical, and because obviously it did pan out like this. But do you think that if if the derby hadn't been played in this block of games, it had been played early in the season as it was meant to have done in February, and we'd gone to another away ground and been beaten, maybe similarly, but not quite as as, as sort of harrowingly. Do you think Reverso actually may have survived longer? But because that is so fresh in the memories of everybody, you all, you all have mentioned it, and the the unmistakable symbolism of John Woods getting up and walking out after the third goal went in. Do you think that Reverso actually would have survived to the end of the season if that game had not come in this fixture? I, I don't know. I think that I just appeared to be cast after the, the Chelsea game, didn't it? Whatever the run of fixtures was, you know, from the Arsenal onwards, I think, I think he's, you know... Yourselves putting print that it was you know pathetic awful performance you know, was where it's that effect and it was and you know, so I don't think whatever team we played um, and we just you know since the cup game you know we've just been the last three away matches you know including the derby have just been mm. awful and when you've lost the players for whatever reason which we may talk about why that's happened if you're in in a no win position. Unfortunately, we are going to have to go back to last night um, because obviously it was the final game of Martinez's reign as Everton manager. Greg, in many ways, did that, for for the wrong reasons, sum up Martinez and Everton? Yeah, defensively, yeah. It, it was um, a laughing stock, defensively. A laughing stock. The worst, the worst thing for you, though, it, was, it felt for me that it came as absolutely no surprise that Sunderland won that match. No, not at all. The bookies never seen it like that. Yeah. He's always on Sunderland. And you could tell, like obviously I was at the game, you could tell before kick-off that Sunderland knew it as well. Big Sam knew it in the build-up, the fans knew it, everybody knew it, and the Everton players knew it. And, and the Everton fans knew it. Oh, away. well, the ones who were there, exactly, and the ones who weren't. They knew it. So, so carry on, mate. It, was, it summed him up, didn't it, really? It yeah. yeah. Sunderland didn't even have to play particularly well to get the points. You know, they must have been absolutely laughing their you-know-what's off at the prospect of getting Everton in that game because they couldn't have been luckier to face, of all teams, to face for that fixture. They knew, basically, they were safe. All they had to do was turn up, keep it together, and they were safe. Marnes spoke about matching their intensity. And, you know, for the first 10 minutes or so, it was all right. Gareth Barry back, being back, made a difference, as he does. He's a, he's a top player. Uh, they kept the ball a bit better. And they looked half decent, but then typically, as you say, summing up Martinez's reign, catastrophic defending, laughable defending, and just a lack of spirit and backbone. One goal goes in, you can almost guarantee another one's going to go mm. in, and then so on and so on. Um, it's another one where it could have been more, really. Mm. Um, one cleared off the line before the third, yeah, and Defoe yeah. probably could have scored. Mm. And we'll talk about, the, Gav said, you know, the players, whether they're playing for him or the, whether or not what's happened to their form, but it summed it up for me when you saw... A centre back for Sunderland in, in Kone, um, bury that chance, absolutely bury it, and then Lukaku had a you know similar chance and hit the bar. 
sums it up. Well, I, I, I actually spoke to you, Greg, after the game and I, on, on my way home. And I don't know if you saw it on the telly, but there was a point in the game in the second half, I think it was 3-0 at this point, and there was a break in play. And the Everton players just stood, heads down, looking absolutely forlorn. And there was one player trying to cajole and rally them, Matthew Pennington. The 21-year-old, 20, yeah. most inexperienced player on the pitch, trying to get the rest of them up. And that, for me, was that I just knew then. You know, that is, that, that was the, the confirmation yeah. that they had just lost everything. Yeah. Where do you think that's came from? Do you think? Well, I was going to, I was going to ask you, I don't know. Do you I think don't... there's been senior pros? The senior pros have had a split with Roberto Martinez, as in the way he approaches games. Do you think they've spoken to him about it, the way the defenders set pieces, they're not doing defensive drills? Do you think the players have, have, have confronted Martinez about this? I don't think they've ever walked off the training pitch. I don't think... There was old rumours, weren't they, going the, doing the rounds that Jaggy Elk had let the players off because uh, Martinez had refused... Is request the extra defensive drills. Don't believe extra, that. But, but, we, or any, but we think that's your Chinese whispers of Merseyside football. Mm. But what I do think's probably happened is they've had, obviously they have team meetings every week before games. I think it will have come up. And I think it will have come up and come up. And as we know with Martinez, he's stubborn. And I think he's basically told them we're doing it my way or the highway. And ultimately, that's going to frustrate senior professionals, people like Baines, Jaggy Elka, so on and so forth, Seamus Coleman. Um, but I actually think it's split the dressing room because you've yeah. got players like that, Jags, Baines, I've just mentioned Coleman, yeah. not Martinez's men. He didn't sign them. But players who are absolutely vital to the team. But crucial, yeah. crucial to that team. And you've got players who did sign. Gareth Barry, we gave a three-year contract at the age of 31. James McCarthy, we brought back out the championship for 18 million, built his career up. You know, Kone, um, we brought in. Nias, so on and, and so forth. John that, Stones, yeah, yeah. we've brought mm. on. So ultimately, I, it can't have helped. There's, there must be an attention in, in that team between players who were willing to give him a chance and wanted to believe in his methods and those who didn't. And what it's led to, and I'm not even saying this to be facetious or sarcastic, you could see there was no chemistry anymore mm, yeah. from like that first season. And Martinez handled that incident over Baines saying that abominably. And he brought it on himself. The way he handled that, he should have been better advised or he should have listened to advice. The way he did it, scapegoat and Baines, was basically another death knell in his, in his epic yeah. career. I mean, just a couple of reflections from last night for me personally. He waited ages for Coney to score, and he did twice, didn't he? You know, but, <laughs> and it was also, I said, we to, signed the wrong yeah, <laughs> I said to Greg before that, um, you know, it was weird that Walter Smith got sacked after the 3 0 defeat in the North East as well, didn't he? Yeah. In, uh, in, 2000, yeah. in 2002. But I, I take on board that about defensive drills, but we're not doing the basic defending like that, are we? You know, you can you can say about practicing, but some of the defending, even last night was was not even Sunday league standard, was it? No. You know, but you don't have to drill people, you know, to defend. You know, you can drill people to get all you like, but if you don't do the the you know, the, the, the basic stuff. You're on a you're on a on, on a loser. But what I would say to me, the problem in the last few games away from home is not defence. You know, we're always going to be a bit sketchy. Is there's just absolutely nothing. There was nothing. Further up the field, we're basically playing four players at the front. That might be Rom, Morales, Barkley, take your pick cleverly, and they're all four, four or five individual players. weren't they? there was nothing, no, no, cohesion. no, no, no cohesion, well, no, no, yeah, there was, yeah, and that was apparent in the derby, wasn't it? We just at, at various points had, like, say, Rom, I think Morales played in the and mm. Ross, 
just getting the ball deep and just running at defence because there was nothing around them. There was no players, you know, pushing forward, no full-backs pushing forward. And that was the, the real this, you know, the real sign for me that something was wrong with the Martinez team, which is normally you would expect to do that. Mm. wasn't. No, what I was angry with yesterday is the substitution at the end. Leon Osman. Yeah. No, you're getting beat 3-0 against Sunderland. Oh, surely that would have been a, a great chance for Tom Davis or Kieran Dow to come on, get a bit of experience. He brings Leon Osman off um, onto the pitch and thinking, what, what was the point in that substitution? We've been screaming for the youngsters to get a game over the last couple of weeks. And he hasn't hardly done it. I think you could have laid the pressure off yourself by doing it. And he's playing the same Darren Gibson, Leon Osman, Tony Ibbett, Tim Howard, and thinking, they're going next week. What's the point? Mm. So if you're, I think he's known for a long time, Roberto, because if he, if he didn't know he was going to get the sack, then he wouldn't be playing these. He'd be looking for, towards the next season because this season has gone. Mm. So you'd be thinking, blood some youngsters in for next season. So obviously to me, he's known quite well for a long time. He's going to be getting the sack. I, I disagree. I don't think he has known he's going to be getting the sack because I think he's bringing on Osman and people like that. That's shown me that he still believes that he's going to be in the job. Because for whatever reason, you know, because it's, it's very short-termism, isn't it? Maybe it was an attempt to somehow get back into the game or I don't know what it was. But he, if he was thinking long-term, then he would be bringing on your Dals and your Davises and used, or using them even. But you surely know. he'd use that as, use the kids to gain experience in a game like Leicester, in a game like Bournemouth for next season. What, what's, he, what's he done by playing because Gibson? He's, because he's trying to save, he was trying to save his job, wasn't he? Yeah. So he was trying he's to think. probably thinking a win here or a point there, it might just, whatever. I agree with Greg. I, I think that's. He has, that's he, has spoke, he did speak about the. Uh, we can now talk about Roberto in the past tense, I suppose. Is, uh, he has spoken about the integrity, haven't he? The last four or five games where they're playing three teams. But my argument that guy going on the evidence of Leicester, yeah, yeah, how yeah. could including Dow make Everton any Yeah, worse? that's a fair point. Yeah. In theory, in theory. Uh, but that kind of neatly, and I'll start with you, Gav, because I interrupted you rudely there. Um, Neatly brings us on to, we will talk about who we want as, or who we would like to see as long-term permanent manager, but there's obviously a big question as who should be in charge for Sunday. Now, there will be a lot of support, and you know, for me personally, I'll, I'll, I'll say this for David Unsworth to take charge. Therefore, that might give us an opportunity to see young players because he's in charge of the 21s. Who would you like to see take charge of the, uh, the team on Sunday? Um, that's a very, very good question. Um, it's the only one I've ever asked. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, Unsworth would be ideal for me. I know, I know. Joe Royal was brought back to the club, wasn't he? With maybe in mind of of doing a job in 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 the short term, but I think that was maybe four or five games, not one game. It doesn't seem to be right. It would seem to be, you know, David Unsworth and Kevin Sheedy, or one of one of those two, um, who basically not not associated as sitting on the first team bench. The season that would be, you know, the, the ideal choice choice for me. So, any ideas you agree with? I, Gav? I, I agree with Gab to an extent. I'd like to see Unsworth being given just, just even if it's just for the game. Um, Unsworth in charge and Big Dunkers as um, as his right hand man. I think it'll just give that the fans some kind of heart and soul back in the football club, which they think they've lost over the past few seasons. For me, I think the ground, the whole stadium would start to get a sense of. I don't know, with an excitement again, a buzz round the ground that they've got two of their own there on the bench 
that he can relate to and I just think the passion on the pitch as well yeah if, if we do get beat so what there's some kinds of passion I've seen Roberto Martinez over the past couple of months and his figure his body language on, on, on the line is just it, it looks it looks terrible so at least you've got some pa- kinds of passion on the line and the fans can relate to that it would be good to see uh, Greg Gav mentioned Kevin Sheedy who's done a great job of the 18s this season again you know you would welcome him maybe to be on the bench just going to say for me it would be Sheeds um, with Duncan alongside him I think that's what in my opinion would really pick up the crowd in the sense that Tony's talking about I think Kevin, David Unsworth don't get me wrong terrific uh, potential as a, a youth coach done really well with the under 21s but that for me can't be allowed to overlook what Kevin Sheedy's achieved consistently over the last five seasons He's done wonders with the under-18s. He's proven to be a brilliant coach. He's a legend anyway before he even gets on that, that training field with the, with the young lads. Uh, he's got a special relationship with Duncan. They've bonded well. Uh, they worked together with the, the under-18s previously. And um, I would give Sheeds and Duncan a chance. Just, I make the point. Is what, what is the just personal position with Duncan? Because he's been sitting on the bench, mm. the first-team bench with the Bears for what? 18 months, is it? Feb, Feb 2014, was it? I think that's yeah, yeah, yeah. longer. Like, when people talk about, or t- spoke about Roberto's backroom staff and name names, Duncan never got mentioned. Now, I mean, I don't want to talk about the future that much, but it does tie into the humanities. He's just going to be like the, the Ryan Giggs of Everton, mm. where he just ends up sitting on the bench. Yeah. yeah. You know, sort of. I think you know, that a bit nothing happening. You've got to be allowed to there, speak, you know. you're speak your mind. Yeah. I, I think what. What you see, what you've seen is, you've seen Roberto and his confidants from Wigan, his Wigan days. You've seen his obviously his assistant manager Graham Jones. You've seen Dennis Lawrence. You've seen his goalkeeping coach. And you've seen his chief scout Kevin Reeves, and they've been his backroom staff. If you like, they've been his boot room type thing. Mm. I think they're the ones he confides in. They're the ones he trusts, and they're the ones who he wants proper, intimate um, conversations with about first team serious matters. And they go everywhere as a unit. So I would imagine, you know, that we'll see what happens there. But um, they mightn't be at the club uh, much longer than Roberto. What I do think is Duncan's separate from that in a way. Duncan was at the club beforehand. Um, obviously, Roberto was the one who gave him the, the chance yeah. to, to step up into first team management. And I think Duncan will probably reflect that he owes Roberto for that because it was quite a brave move when he did it. Mm. Um, brave and savvy as well. But I think Martinez is shrewd and I think he's always kept Duncan at arm's length. I don't think Duncan's been able to have much of an input into, into team talks or tactics. And I think he's kind of almost been there as a figurehead. Um, yeah, well, Duncan gave the best team talk of the season on the pitch against Villarreal, didn't he, after the game? At <laughs> the end of his testimonial. Yeah. Had the place in tears, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, um, so, obviously, the, the big question now is who, to, who is to replace... Roberto Martinez. Um, there's obviously a couple of early front runners, if you like. Frank De Boer, via his agent and his brother today, <laughs> has made it pretty clear he would like to come to Everton. So I think that's uh, that's a given that he's uh, he's very much interested in the job. Ronald Koeman's name has been mentioned. Uh, Manuel Pellegrini. Um, Mark Hughes was a surprise one as well. Um, so we'll start with you this time, mate. Who, if there's anybody on that list or anybody else you would like to mention, uh, maybe a certain Portuguese. European <laughs> Cup winner. Uh, who would you like to see uh, be the new manager of Everton? It goes without saying, I'd absolutely love to see Jose Mourinho in the hot seat at Goodison. He's just an absolute born winner. His CV just speaks for himself. It's just, 
I think Everton have at least going sounds I'm out. I was going to say, do you, like, hand on heart, how realistic do you think I, that is? It's. I think it's going to be quite difficult, obviously, because Josie's heavily linked with the Manchester United job, and he's going to be looking at Champions League clubs, isn't he? He's not going to be looking at teams in the bottom half. So Everton are going to have to offer him a huge package, aren't they? But if you Moshiri, you say, listen, just give us a two or three year contract. There's money to spend in the summer. We've got some, in my opinion, some cracking youngsters in the squad. Just me, give us box office stuff. That's what we want. Obviously, you're going to see that with Jose Mourinho. The, the fans are going to be. Um, it'll be it'll be unbelievable for Everton if they could even. As I said, go and even sound him out. Speak to him if he turns us down. So be it. At least Everton have showed their ambition mm. and they're attracting big names. Oh, I'd love him here, obviously, but I, I can't see it. If not, I'd like to see Ronald Koeman. I think he, he's he's got Premier League experience. He's worked wonders with Southampton. They're getting the best players robbed off, robbed off them every season, and yet they're still finishing the top six. They beat all the big teams this season. I think uh, Ronald Koeman for me. Gav? Yeah, I mean, one thing about Mourinho, uh, what I would say, and I think Tony's right, I think the conversation needs to be had, is you're getting Mourinho as a manager in 2016 is a completely different beast to the one he was in 2004 in terms of his um, in terms of how the players react to him in terms of the tactics he employs in terms of his own personality do you think um, that somebody as high profile and as, as a force of nature as he is even if it's diminished slightly now coming into Everton would actually have that same well, that, that's what I'm saying is what do we want do we want do we want somebody sure who's going to attract players because of their knee or Somebody said to me, funny enough, on the way up here, what we need is somebody who's on, on the way up, not on the way down. So, you know, a Moyes-type appointment. Um, but the, the, the downside... So, is it more of a risk? Yeah, is it, it's it? more of a risk. And will they attack the top players? Or is, this, is, the, is it the middle ground, which is sort of like what Tony's alluding to, your uh, De Beers, your, your Cummins? I mean, De Beers has obviously been mentioned quite a bit, um, conveniently, Leaving Ajax yeah. this week, you know. Strategic timing. Yeah. Um, the thing with, with that is, Tony was told me before about winning trophies, on, and, and that's right, I think that's good, but it's where you win the trophies sometimes is, is just as important. Um, and the Dutch league is a bit like the Portuguese league, and it? It? there's only going to be two or three teams in with the shows every season. Now, you could end up getting a, a Mourinho who's capable of doing it, or you mm. could end up getting a Villas Boas. Who has a great record mm. of Porto? Who wasn't capable yeah. of cutting in the yeah. Premier League? Who has a trophy list as long as you are mm. at Porto? So it doesn't necessarily mean that because you won trophies in other countries, ergo you're going to be successful here. Uh, but uh, I, I think it, it depends what you want. And I know the other thing about Tony, Tony, something that uh, mentioned is if you have a look at history, management appointments always tend to be the complete opposite. Of the person that's gone before, that's just Natural, like human nature, yeah. Yeah. right? Okay, so Tony was talking before about Roberto being a bit passive on the touchline, a bit cool. Is do we want somebody who's a bit more, you know, gun yeah. cow, you know, a bit more 100%. emotional? On, you know, maybe not to like a, a Simeone who ends up kicking everybody, but for you know, ball, do, we know the bitch. Yeah. do we need somebody who's, who's a bit more yeah. emotionally driven and a bit more? Clap. Well, mm-hmm. that, that that's that's that ill, that, yeah. that, that, yeah. that ill, you yeah. know, yeah, rather than the, the beat around the bush. That's yeah. the kind of person. Yeah, definitely. They're rather than the cool scientific sort of, you know, low profile on on the touchline. Like do, do you think that what you say there is actually even more important, given that the home form has been so bad yeah. for two seasons? 
that is the first job of the new manager, isn't it? And therefore, does that go hand in hand with his personality? Absolutely, yeah. And I think I think that's right. So whenever. <laughs> So you've got to win trophies. You've got to be able to try players. You've got to be able to wind the clouds up and, and, and you know, and the players. Yeah. You know, it's, it's quite a big, uh, big ask that you get down to, you know, very few people. We've got to be realistic. Uh, I think you're going to end up somebody between Mourinho and that upper start of three or four coaches and sort of maybe what we've been sort of used to looking at in the past. There'll be somebody within that, that gap that we'll, we'll end up getting. Greg, all that considered, then does that rule out the man known as the Premier League gentleman, Pellegrini? Is he too similar in in, in football in style to Roberto? Yeah. Do we need do we need to move quite significantly away from that? On a personal level, I I just don't think um, Pellegrini would be an option that would excite me. Funnily enough, before he went to City, I would just you know when he was coming on the back of doing a really good job in Spain, um, ambitious manager. Loads of experience, but capable of taking a club that didn't have the biggest resources and moving them forward with some exciting fo- winning football. Then I would have said it would have been a good appointment. Not so much now, but it's difficult, isn't it? You know that there's a reason why people are paid a lot of money to go on a headhunt and, and identify talented managers who can tick all the boxes that we've discussed, mm-hmm. and and then some. And um, that, that's where you talk about this element of risk. Do we do we just kind of like? throw everything onto another young manager who's on, as you said, on the way up. I almost don't think that's the right choice no. now. But at the other end of the scale, I don't think we should go and approach a manager who's, you know, got a CV as long as your arm. Um, dare I say someone like Martin O'Neill, it makes me, you know, shudder. Or um, or even Pellegrini, really, although Pellegrini's obviously, you know, achieved things on a bit of a, a different scale. Um, at the moment, Cumin seems the sensible option. But I have to be honest, it doesn't really excite me. It doesn't really make me think would go in places. I don't see him galvanising our team the way Klopp's got. I think Liverpool can must thank their lucky stars for the timing of the way they got Klopp and, and the timing of when Rodgers went. And I wouldn't say it was an accident. I think it was quite interesting. I think probably, I would guess, that they'd already spoken to Klopp at some level. And they've got probably the, one of the best managers in Europe for me. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, again, we're talking about ambition... But reality has to come into it. But just pausing reality for a second, I'd approach Klopp's successor, Dortmund, mm, yeah. Tunchel. I'd go and sound him out. He'll probably say no because Dortmund, probably at the moment, a bigger club, attracting bigger players. and Signing cha- the players. Exactly, in the Champions League. Yeah. So I can't see him saying yeah. But then I'd go and look at maybe Unai Emery at Sevilla, you know, exciting manager, achieve things. Again, hopefully he'll have won the Europa League next week. So um, <laughs> he'll be... He'll be He'll be again, you know, managing Sevilla. I wouldn't say they're a bigger club than Everton by any means, but they'll be in the Champions League. So you've got to go and check. You've got to go yeah. and ask. But I don't know what it is. Koeman's not really excite me yet. Maybe he would be capable of stepping up with a different, different squad. Do you player. think Everton have missed the boat with Slavin Village? Oh, massively, massively. He, he, he ticks every box that we've just talked about. The passion on Someone's the line. Yeah. Maybe and, not yet. And he's played for the club as well, yeah, which is yeah, yeah. yeah. uh, Koku of uh, PSV Eindhoven mm. is, is another one who, who is he, he is he too much of a thinking man, yeah, yeah, manager, if you know but what I mean. To Bears like that, isn't he? He's a bit, you know, he likes possession football. So he has brought a lot of young players in it, but they've got a uh, although Michael, Michael Ball assures me before that if a player's out of line, he'll tell them, so. yeah. Mm. So, I mean, it, it, it sounds easy, it's like buying a centre forward, it sounds easy on paper, just go out and buy him. 
But actually, when you look at the, the, the you point at the Aston. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's hope we don't get the manager, the managerial equivalent. Uh, to all due respect to him, but uh, it, it's it's a, it's a it's a big task, and also as well, it's it. Klopp was during the close during the, the season when it's a bit easier when managers are not in jobs and stuff. You now come and you got the Euros. Hmm. It's complicated. Managers will be, want to be at the Euros, watching players, that type of stuff. You've got um, to get. So is that you saying, Gav, that we've got to get um, done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. what you don't want is what, what happened. But you know, the United really haven't recovered from Van Gaal coming in, didn't he? <laughs> until after the, after the World Cup, yeah. and he only had like two or three weeks then to the uh, the start yeah. of the the start of the season. We need to get somebody in in terms of timing before the Euros. There's yeah. a name we haven't mentioned yeah. there as well, Josh Mlow. Now. Obviously, he's achieved the ultimate in world football with the German national team. Not so good a record in club management. What's your thoughts on That would be a concern that he hasn't proven it as to the same extent as we maybe would like at club level. It's different when you've got that generation yeah. of German German <coughs> yeah. players yeah. when you've got the resource of the German FA. Listen, I'm not knocking him as a coach. No, but... some, some managers do say that some managers are better suited to international where you don't see them every day. You see them once every mm. couple of months, yeah. and you do it that way. He's never been linked at club level elsewhere. Yeah. 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 You sound, sound think to yourself, well, why, why hasn't he? The, the analogy there, he'd all be uh, Phil Scalari, wouldn't he? Yeah. When he went to Chelsea, yeah. have won the World Cup and, and, and struggled. So it, it's it's not as easy as what it looks, this. No, I'll tell you one name who will inevitably come into the frame, and I'll tell you why I don't think it would, would be a good idea. David Moyes. Um, I think it's this Svenjorn Eriksson. <laughs> <laughs> I think David Moyes, obviously, as we know, um, probably felt that he had regrets about leaving Everton. I think if he was honest, he's alluded in interviews by the fact that, you know, how fond he was of his time there. And if anything, his his career subsequently will have taught him that, you know, ironically, as he always used to say to players, the grass isn't always greener. I wouldn't wouldn't particularly knock him for taking that job when United came calling. I think it was, he'd earned his right to go and have a chance at managing Man United and it didn't work out. Uh, he, He couldn't really do it at that level. He took another big risk, hats off to him by going to Spain. Didn't work out there either, but you don't go back. Once you've been there, you don't go yeah. back. And I just think it would be a negative backward step to go and even sound out Moyes about coming back. Yeah, his football might have evolved by the end of the time he was at Everton, but where is his mindset and his his philosophy? Sorry to use that word, but <laughs> his outlook on the games been since. You know, you're looking at your Steve Rounds. No, yeah. move on. Yeah. I, I was saying, going back to like Sunday's game, are we ruling out an internal appointment here, by the way? I just think that as much as we've got admiration for all those people we spoke about, I think it's experience is massively key at this point, isn't it? It's experience and it's track record yeah. at the highest level. And Unzi, I, I, you know, I believe will be going to be going to be a great manager. Sheedy's a great coach. Big Dunk, you know, all the admiration in the world for those fellas. But at this stage. I can't see it would be the right move. They've got to go and at least try and speak to Jose Menino. Show ambition. If he turns us down, so what? Work your way down, but go and speak to him. Show your ambition as a football club and show where you want to be back to where you belong. I've spoken to him already for all that. Well, hopefully. hopefully you know, I mean, Mashiri uh, obviously is, you would imagine, got contacts at the very highest level. His um, time with Usmanov, his tenure at Arsenal. Um, he's... He's obviously, you would hope, an ambitious guy. He's not going to mess around. You know, if we're if if we're hearing right, then it was being him who's driven the agenda in in calling pull and plug on it now, mm. and that's going to come at some some personal cost for him. It's going to cost yeah. him a few quid to to um, pay the Bertels' contract. 
So he's obviously had enough, and he's obviously thinking that we need better than this Everton, and he's right. So I would like to think that ambition extends to you know the next one. I don't want Everton to be linked with people like, with utmost respect to them, Alan Stubbs, David Weir, your former player brigade. You know they're all decent managers who may well go on to become better than that. But for me, you don't want to go and appoint a manager from Scotland. Yeah. You want to appoint a winner who's proven it at the level above what Martinez is. Yeah. That's, and I think that somebody like a Sean Dyche falls into that category as well, doesn't he? I, yeah. I think John, Sean Dyche could be a tremendous manager one day. Eddie Howe as well. Yeah, completely. I think Everton at this stage in, in, their, in their history and this stage now are beyond young manager to prove himself mm. with yeah. a big Then club. young managers, go and prove yourself elsewhere. Yeah. Make yourself a winner, and then in a couple of years' time, we'll come back okay. to you. Then, yeah. just just briefly, then, if you're a new manager and coming in, what would what would the first conversation you'd have with them about? Because the first thing we talk about would be the playing staff. Mm. Now, actually, you know, there's, we've got two, three of our promising players who are worth all worth a few bob. You know, regardless of some of them not performed last few few weeks. You know, but do you want assurance that they're staying, or do you really want to go into the club? And by the way, oh. Player X and players Y and players Z, they're all going in the summer, by the way. That's the type of thing, you know. But then does it fall back onto the argument, well, if Mashiri says, yeah, they're going, but you have every single penny to reinvest. But this is where, if the if the manager's name is big enough, then players will want yeah. to stay. Imagine if Mirino walks into Finch Farm in all, you know, July time. Next minute, do you think Romelu Lukaku and John Stones want to go I, anyway? I'd no, take the cash thing, but sometimes... Going into a club, oh, by the way, we just sold our two best players. Just generally speaking, sometimes it's not the best. Best, I know what you're saying, Phil. Yeah. Not the best message to give a new manager, is it really? And I'm, I'm sure the, um, I'm sure that there'll be some conversations around some of our promising youngsters, um, shall we say, uh, in terms of in terms of you know attracting a new manager. But we are we are an attractive club to manage. I mean, if we kept players, it doesn't. If, my mate always says this. It, it doesn't take a lot to fix things at Evan, does it? First of all, just get them to defend them properly. You've got a lot of, you know, you've got a lot of problems with players place. coming through. Got a lot of talent on the pitch, as we said. So you're not as if you're coming into a club that needs a lot. I mean, they're still rebuilding around the squad, but you've still got the basis of a, a good team. Haven't yeah, you? A very yeah, good team. For me, Lukaku's gone. Forget about yeah. him. He's gone. So you do again. You look towards someone like Kuman, who's used to having to sell his best players. But then he's going to be in a position whereby he'll have more resources than he's probably ever had in his career to build something. So I think mm. so whoever's going to come in, unless it's Mourinho, in which case it's a bit of a game changer. And then as Tony said, you might get some, like Lukaku maybe, um, Stones maybe, might think, actually, do you know what, I, I won't be part of this. Mm. Otherwise, I think the, whoever comes in, pretty much, I think those two are probably going. One thing I will say briefly is that I don't like this comment, or Evan, they won't be able to attract him, they won't be able to attract him in the bottom half club. I'm not having that. Look at the two appointments um, Southampton made last, Cumin and Pochettino. Now, that was Southampton in mid-table at the time, so that shows you the Premier League's a cash cow. If you've got the players, you can reinvest. You've got the ambition as a football club. You can go and get the big names. That's on Southampton, but Southampton have got a brilliant record at identifying yeah. upcoming manager, managerial talent. They went, saw Pochettino and Newell's old boys and took a risk, you know, a qualified risk on them. If Everton went, I mean, that's... It would be a risk, wouldn't it, for us to go and find the next Pochettino? Yeah. Um, one way of taking, obviously, if it was him, yeah. Mm. But it's a difficult one. The only, the only thing I'd say as well, just finally, is that um, 
obviously we reflected on why Martinez had to go and we all agree it was the right thing to do it should have happened earlier but one thing that for me he did bring especially in that first season was a little bit of belief in that Everton can go anywhere and play yeah. anyone yeah. and have a go and I think we've been bred under David Moyes to believe that Everton had that there was a glass ceiling and Everton putting their heads against it and we'd go to places like the Emirates and we'd go to places like the Etihad and Old Trafford and we'd turn up for a point or we'd turn up feeling a hide and and for me, in his first season, Martinez, and I'll, I'll always acknowledge this, Martinez had that restored, that yeah. belief. We went to the Emirates, and we effectively outplayed Arsenal. The irony is we didn't win. Winning football is that, the key, that's isn't kind, it? Yeah. That kind of sums Roberto Martinez that's, well, that's playing well, but not getting well, results. That's the key. He wanted to win, though. But he wanted to, and he set up to win. He doesn't want to win? No, I'm not buying into that. He set the team up to win. I mean, the Emirates is as good as what I've seen Everton play in a big game away from home. Ever in that first season, there's a start and start that's in that game. Of the first 250 passes in that match, 175 of them were by Everton players away from home <laughs> against the best, supposedly best passing team in the Premier League. But they that's, point. Out, that's his no, problem. Was set, that no, was his, that's set. why yeah, he's yeah, on the door. That's his problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but why he's on the door. Roberto Martinez, no, box three, please. But there was, there was optimism. No, there was, there was, it was shown out. They set out two win. They made didn't. They may not have won, but they were set out to win. That's that's the, the sort of difference. Well, Leicester, Leicester haven't set out to win as many games, have they? The way they compared have they won the, the league compared to the previous manager. Well, they have set out to win because they, they won. Since the, the start, they just wanted to get to the forty points, and that's yeah. what it is, and that's why Roberto Martinez is out of a job now. We could go on, couldn't we? Um, this has been um, an extra special podcast, but never want to break with tradition because we will not convene again <laughs> oh, on the no. weekend. I'll start with you, Greg. What is your prediction for Everton versus Norwich on Sunday? Well, it's completely transformed than it would have been if, if this afternoon's events hadn't taken place. Uh, I'm relieved on a personal level, selfish level, more than anything else, that we're going to be going to Goodison and it's not going to be as toxic and miserable and horrendous yeah. as it would have been yeah. if Martinez was in charge. Yeah. I think we're going to beat Norwich. I'm confident they'll go and get oh, a win. Obviously, mm. Norwich have got absolutely nothing to play for apart from a bit of pride and reward and they're loyal fans who may or may not be making the journey from East Anglia yeah. to Merseyside. Yeah. Certainly wouldn't blame them if they didn't. But, you know, they do have loyal fans and they'll probably uh, bring a few. doesn't matter, I think, um, whether it's Sheeds and Joe Royal or Sheeds and Ferguson or Unzi. I think that they'll galvanise the crowd and uh, there'll be a, a feeling of relief that, that the uncertainty of the manager's future is gone and Everton will win 3-0. So, I, I agree with Greg. I think the... Um, It'll be an exciting round Goodison Park on Sunday afternoon. I think Everton will absolutely take knowledge of the cleaners. I think it'll be a feel-good factor back to Goodison. But one thing I will say is that the timing of this now, more, more importantly, with Roberto going today, I think it's 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 for the better of the likes of your Tim Howard, Leon Osman, Stephen Pienaard, Darren Gibson, Tony But All these players now will probably get the, the send-off that they deserve. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If, it, if it, Roberto would have been there on Sunday, it, been, it just yeah. would have been a vendetta towards Roberto Martinez and that would have been a side show. These players now will get the send-off to deserve, so the timing's right for me. Yeah. I'm going to slightly uh, think of a correct scoreline. I'm going to go 3-1 to Everton and hopefully Stephen Naismith to score for the oh, Norwich. Yes. If he scores, I think he'll get a, a round of applause. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd, be, that'd be good to see. Yeah, I, I think similar. I think the Blues will, uh, will win 2-1 and we'll... Uh, We'll end a very disappointing season on, on some sort of high. But uh, thank you very much for listening. If you managed to get all the way through, that's over 50 minutes, which is, must be a record for us. But it was exceptional circumstances, wasn't it? But uh, 
We'll meet again next week to discuss the first game of the post-Martinez era. And uh, stay tuned and stay online for all the latest news.